Sports Talk, where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by our great friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And the pickle bar, led by the barrels and the dills. No surprise whatsoever to this veteran campaigner. Second to none. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury. The Beverage Supermarket. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. On the show today, we will have Quint Kesnick from ESPN, who will join us in a few minutes to talk about Penn State's lacrosse matchup in East Hartford, Connecticut on Sunday when they take on Loyola of Maryland for the right to go to Penn State's first ever Final Four if they can win it. We'll talk with Quint in just a few minutes. Also, uh, we'll have Brett Hudson from uh, Mississippi State, covers Mississippi State football, and talk about Tommy Stevens going there. Dick Girardi on the Preakness. And the great one in the final half hour. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome the suit back to the program. Wonderful again to join you, sir. And now, ladies and gentlemen, before we get to Quint Kastnick, which will be after the break, our Indie Minute. Marco Andretti blasting through 230 miles an hour on Fast Friday at a top speed of 230.851. One of four drivers peaking out beyond the 230 threshold. It's an exciting Fast Friday until the weather came in and the yellow flag came out. Was the race today? No, it, it this is Fast Friday. So Sets up for qualifying this weekend. So it doesn't matter. It matters tomorrow. But today didn't matter. Well, there's a lot of money at stake for the poll. But you're right. Today was a practice. Did they, did they race today? Uh, maybe, but not for anything, not for money. And yet you're all excited about this. Uh, listen, I, I love the fact that they're above 230. That means if the weather's just right tomorrow, we I mean, could see speeds I mean, of 230. That's that's exciting to me. I'm not talking about how you get to work. I'm talking about the race car drivers. <laughs> that's a, that Honda moves a little too fast to drive through 11 and 15. I don't think Marco would be able to do that. So... Have you made your pick then? No. No. I mean, there's names at the top of the speed chart that really surprise me. I mean, uh, you know, Connor Daly is not a regular, although a, a really good driver. He's he's number two on the speed chart today. You, know, you have Spencer Piggott. He's up there, uh, a number three on the speed chart. He's you know he, he's not one of the, he's a regular driver, but not one you would expect to see on the speed chart. But so I, I this this race is too open. You know, three days ago, Alexander Rossi wasn't even in the top ten. Here's a guy that's in the fight for a championship, and now all of a sudden, speed charts on Fast Friday is nine. This is wide open. 
What about your guy Hildebrand doing all the Honda commercials who got knocked out of the race last year? <laughs> I, uh, th- listen, that's not happening. Hinchcliffe is not going to let that happen this or year. Hinchcliffe. Yeah, Hinch Hinchcliffe, is not yeah. going to let. Although he did not run real well today. His top speed, 227.742. Fernando Alonso in a backup car after crashing earlier this week. Ran 227. And my favorite hmm. driver of all, who only runs the 500 now, Sage Karam, working to get up to speed. So, no worries, he's not going to make the field. There are 30, I, I, I believe I counted 37 potential drivers this year. Now, I don't okay. know if any, 30, everybody's going to try, but there's 37. 33 potential. make it. Yeah, I know there's. Last year, there, last year there were 34, and your guy Hinch got knocked out. Uh, actually, 35. Uh, Hinch and and uh, your favorite driver, Pippa Man. Big fan. Where was Pippa? Me, Where did uh, Pippa go today? Uh, Pippa ran uh, 227.996, puts her 24th on the speed chart. Well, her brother-in-law is financing it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Pippa Middleton running that fast? <laughs> I knew that was coming somewhere along the line. <laughs> Brother-in-law's financing it. I think there's going to be four drivers on the outside looking in after the day is over on Sunday. Hmm. Before the finale of Game of Thrones, four drivers oh. will not be looking at the 500 next weekend. Kind of defines you with this show on the outside looking in. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> I know I'm quick. Yeah, I forgot how quick. <laughs> yeah, starting to bother you every day. Tommy Stevens has uh, opted to transfer to Mississippi State as a grad transfer. Uh, the kid Thompson that had been their quarterback in the spring did not wow the world. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald last year didn't wow the world. Mississippi State made its name last year on defense, as evidenced by the NFL draft. So Tommy Stevens goes there. I hope he does extremely well there. I hope he has a great season. I hope it meets all his expectations. Because I I believe Tommy Stevens is a very good quarterback, and I think that Penn State and Sean Clifford has a very good quarterback. And... I hope he does well there. I hope Joe Moore does well with him. But I think Penn State's going to be just fine with Sean Clifford. So, so that is the story with Tommy Stevens. That's why we're going to hear from Brett Hudson a little bit later in the show, who covers Mississippi State football. Big weekend for Penn State men's lacrosse. They will be in East Hartford, Connecticut, to take on Loyola of Maryland Sunday. If they win it, they go to their first ever Final Four. Quit Kesnick in a few moments from ESPN here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet. Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstores, ready for all of your warm weather activities. Camping, picnics, grilling, visit Brewers Outlet first for microbrews, imports, domestic specialties. They got them. Grab some pickles at the pickle bar, Steve Jones's favorite place. Snacks, Brewers Outlet has that covered. Soda, sports drinks, check. Weekly specials, too. And there's lots of convenient parking. So get all the refreshments everyone will love for your next outdoor gathering at Brewers Outlet, the beverage super stock superstore, Reagan Street, Sunbury. 
All right, coming up on Sunday, the Nittany Lion men's lacrosse team has a chance to make the Final Four in Philadelphia. They'll play in East Hartford, the home of UConn football, when they take on Loyola of Maryland. And actually, I got to know this guy through Dick Girardi uh, because they're both big horse guys. Uh, Quint Kesting, hello, Quint. You knew that we had a mutual uh, association with Dickie. He's on his way down to Baltimore. Uh, unfortunately, I have to leave town today. Uh, it's a uh, it's a great act, you know. It's a Friday, Saturday at at Pimlico, two of my favorite days of the year. It's been I don't know more than a decade since I've been there on those days, but uh, you can feel the energy and excitement building in Baltimore for yeah. that. Oh, uh, no, yeah, in fact, I think the last time I saw you was at the Big Ten tournament uh, a couple of years ago. We probably the three of us probably, and I was a bystander, talked horse racing for about fifteen minutes. So. <laughs> Yeah, Dickie, uh, I lived with, I had a roommate, I don't know, when I was in my 30s, early 30s, that was his best friends, uh, and, that, and that's how we, we established the friendship, uh, and uh, it's always good talking with him. I, in fact, I, I texted him this morning to find out what his travel plans were this weekend. Oh, I know what they are, because I talked to him this morning, and he was driving already down to Baltimore, so, <laughs> uh, ironically, I, you know, you'll be in East Hartford coming up on uh on Sunday, ironically, instead of me being with Girardi, I'm going to be there with you. Uh, so I'm going to go up. Uh, so I want to ask you about the lacrosse part of this moving forward. It's down now to the eight. How balanced is this field, in your opinion? Uh, it's balanced. I mean, I think the Penn State's a favorite. I think Yale is a team that can win a national championship. They're seeded five. I think Virginia's playing as well as anyone. They're the three seed. Uh, I think Duke is a vulnerable two seed right now. I, I I don't see them winning a national title. We'll see if they can survive their Notre Dame game. So, you know, as as like this 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 quarterfinal round reminds me of a semifinal from a decade ago. Right. You know, that that's you know that's how this thing. Is. And I think when you look at the NCAA basketball tournament, sometimes you feel the same way. Like, yeah, you know, and then, and that's why making the the Final Four is so impressive in that sport. Yeah, the depth of it has really changed. I know in this state. The, you know, we talk about, you know, some people are wondering whether football, high school football is growing. People are wondering whether high school basketball is growing. But everyone knows in this state high school lacrosse is going, is growing. Club lacrosse is growing. Is that what you're seeing down in your area, too? Yeah, I mean, Maryland has always been a, you the know, a state bed. that's, that's yeah. always kind of led the way with New York. Uh, Pennsylvania was the eastern part that's always been strong in Philadelphia. But the growth now to the southern part of the state, you know, around York, PA. Uh, the western growth has been a little slower than I would say in, in, in the, what is that, the Ohio Valley over there by Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yep. But they're but they're getting there. They're getting there. And, and it's it's a great option. You know, I, high school football players who play lacrosse really benefit from the experience. And I think about the Naval Academy teams in the 1960s. They had all two-sport athletes. The lacrosse team was like the half the football team would, would play lacrosse in the spring mm-hmm. and and cross train, so it's a it's a good uh, crossover to young football athletes and young hockey athletes as well. Uh, when Penn State entered in hockey, they then went to the Big Ten Hockey Conference, which meant, of course, BTM was doing mad uh, games and so forth. Just the brand of it has it helped the sport of lacrosse, in your opinion, that the Big Ten has a conference now in lacrosse, and there's the brand name of Big Ten. Yes, tremendously, and more than I would have anticipated. And there's, there's really two reasons why. Number one is TV. Uh, the way they've time-slotted their, their game of the week and a Sunday night game, it's, it's getting a tremendous, tremendous uh, 
notoriety in the game. You know, there's so many high school and, and, and uh, youth league players and parents who are busy all weekend. But you play that game on a Sunday night, there's a good chance you have to buy the TV. So that's one. The second thing is adding Maryland and Johns Hopkins as an affiliate, right. basically, yeah. has really elevated the rest of the conference. And, uh, you know, Rutgers has done okay. Uh, Ohio State played for a national title two years ago. Uh, no one would have ever dreamed of that 10 years ago. And now Penn State's in the thick of this. So Penn State and Ohio State have really benefited from that the TV, getting, you know, regular season games against uh, Maryland and Johns Hopkins. And it's been a huge, huge plus, I think. You mentioned earlier an answer uh, dealing with Yale. Yale is the one team to beat Penn State this year. They beat them by one early. Of late, Penn State had to. Uh, had a tough one with Rutgers here on Senior Day. Then they won easily yeah. in the semifinal. But then in John, with Johns Hopkins, they had to win in overtime, and Matt O'Keefe got the golden goal in that one for Penn State. How much do you think it helps a team that, at least down the stretch, they have been tested and reacted to it? Very much so. And I think those games will serve as a wake-up call. Because Penn State's scoring on a historical level. Okay, They're number four all-time in terms of goals per game averaging about 18-plus. Right. There's two Syracuse teams and a Cornell team ahead of them. So understand that. But I think with that comes a an attitude of, well, we don't have to defend. We'll just score our way to a win today, right. You know, like you'd see in any other sport. And I think those two games being close, the, the Rutgers game came down in the last 37 seconds. The Hopkins game was overtime. I think those will be wake-up calls in terms of, no, 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 if you, to win a national championship, it, it has to be everybody. We've got to play strong defense. Our specialists, that's goaltending and faceoffs gotta be, you know, on point. And then of course we're gonna put the ball in the back of the net with this with this really special offense. Quinn, what kind of difference uh, does uh, and difference maker is it for Penn State? A their faceoff percentage and B also the, the the ability to get ground balls. It's big. I mean it's possessions and when they're clicking the way they do with their offensive efficiency, you you give them a, a you know, ten extra possessions a game. And they're, they're scoring at a rate where, where that's equal to three or four goals. You know, what they do extremely well this year, obviously Gerard Arceri, you mentioned face-offs. Their shooting percentage is as high as I've ever seen. I think it's 43 or 44% right now. Right. In years past, if that number was 35, I would be like drooling over that team saying, wow, that's one of the best shooting teams in the country. Yeah. They're 10 percentage points higher than what is perceived to be an excellent number. Like mm. it is blown out of the water anything that we've seen, in, again, in the last decade. All right. Now, what about Loyola on that side of it? I mean, obviously well, Penn State Loyola, will go Loyola, in the favorite. They're good, though. Loyola won a championship back in 2012. It's a really well-coached, good team, great culture. Okay? They have two players standing in the way of Penn State. One is Pat Spencer, senior attackman, who is, like, third all-time in points in NCAA history. Okay? He is... Uh, He's a man amongst boys. He's big, 6'3", 210. He can run. He's creative, and he's a terrific passer. Okay, he, he can take over a game, as he did last week, with nine points against Syracuse. The other guy that stands in the way is their goalie, Jake Stover, son of Matt Stover, the right. Ravens kicker. Yep. And and he's a senior. He's put up big numbers this year. He has tons, over 50 games experience, and he's sharp right now. He was excellent in the second half in that Syracuse win. So, if if he can win one of those two battles, I think Penn State wins. If if Loyola wins the Spencer and Stover game, then this is going to be a, a, a close one that will come down to the last five minutes. 
Penn State has, I think, at least seven guys with 10 goals or better. What has that balance meant? You talk about the record numbers, but what has the balance meant? Because it's not just one guy doing it. No, it's everything. And I watched a ton of their tape recently to try to kind of get a gauge of how they're doing this. And Grant Ament, their quarterback, their distributor, he he's a, a standard of what they do. Ball's in his stick a lot. And then Mac O'Keefe is, is the outside shooter, the left-hander from Long Island. And what Mac does well is he's a top-of-the-arc three-point shooter. You'd think of him as a lefty wing, but he's never over there. He, right. he always puts himself directly in front of the goal, which increases his angle. That's why he shoots such a high percentage. But after those two, I got five guys that at one time or another this year, I'm like, who is that guy? Who's that guy? Like Jack Kelly, yes. sophomore from Ontario, Canada right now. Yep. Is, is He's unstoppable since he came back from an injury. Okay, TJ Malone has had moments. He's a freshman from, from Haverford. Nick Spillane was the leader of this team last year. Right. He's capable, a lefty. So there's a depth of scoring. There's, you know, and, and what I see there is hey, one, one guy's going to have an off day, but that's not going to be catastrophic at all because this team has such a, a deep core of goal scorers to rely on. And I think they're selfless and there's a belief in their system and there's confidence that, you know, at the end of the day, if we, we, we play, everybody's going to eat, you know, and, and that's, that's uh, it's fun to watch. Say that much. Actually, uh, talk about fun to watch. I'll end it on this. A lot of Penn State fans are saying, "Oh, wait a minute, Quint Kesnick, He's the guy that does all the interviews after Penn State wins national championships in wrestling. Uh, you're you're the one that's out there with Bo Nickel. You're the ones out there with Jason Nall. What has that experience been like for you to be Matt's side and then have to get that quick one-two question with these guys after their championships? It's it's funny. Well, I'll go back. To my second football game all time was Penn State at Indiana. Okay. And I interviewed Joe Paterno after the game, and he talked. And at, that was at, that was during a time where he he wasn't really known as a talker. My producer at the end of the game was like, "How'd you get so many so so much so much out of him?" I, I think I asked him like three questions. Right. And I go, "Well, I just I grabbed the back of his raincoat and we let him go." <laughs> and. And so there I am, you know, a couple decades later with this Penn State wrestling juggernaut. And that's uh, what always amazes me is how their wrestlers come off the mat and they're hardly breathing. And those, <laughs> I'm, I, look, I wrestled. I know the deal. Okay. Those guys, I don't know how they do it, whether it's controlling their breathing, controlling their emotions. Are they just in that great a shape? Uh, they come off the mat and they're clear thinkers. And they're not breathing heavy. And I, you know, I look at Kale and I'm like, what are you doing? I, you know, how, how do you do this? And, and Kale is a man of few words. Uh, but, but it's really been enjoyable. They, those kids are, those kids are awesome to work with. They're fun. They love their sport. They treat uh, opponents and fans with respect. And, and, you know, that's, that those wrestling tournaments are something that I love. And folks up in Happy Valley are really lucky uh, to have, to have that program right now, uh, humming the way it is. Absolutely, and you do a great job with it because that's not the easiest spot to be in to get reaction no, it, after somebody comes off a mat like that. I, I think it's the hardest. It, yeah. it, honestly, it is the hardest interview that I do all year. The halftime interview with with an upset football coach, he's got to do it. You know, right. these kids are just hit with this adrenaline that is the moment of their life, and they got to stop and think and work with me to answer a question. It's like they probably don't want to be there, uh, so it's it's. It is a difficult. It's something you know, kind of tiptoe through through questions and 
work with the different kids who's a good talker, who's not such a good talker, and, and it's a challenge. Well, you've done it perfectly, really, honestly. Uh, we appreciate the time very much. I hope to see you on Sunday. Yeah, I do. Uh, it'll be great. Uh, UConn, uh, natural grass, Rancho Field, usually windy. Yeah. Side of an old uh, old airport, so it should be fun. Oh, I know, though. My dad used to work at Pride Woodening, so <laughs> I know oh, it. Wow. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it, Quink. Steve, take care. I'll see you up there. Quint Kasnick. Did you already coming up next half hour on the Preakness? The suit will be taking notes. Taking notes. Writing down exactas. And if the trifecta is anything like the uh, Kentucky Derby, you won't be hearing from me for a few weeks. All right, years. Well, you've just given the audience a lot to root for. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, keywords 11 and 15 in Hubble's Wharf, on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And we welcome everyone back and joined by Dick Girardi, the award-winning writer who is with us courtesy of ExpressBet.com. Visit ExpressBet.com for a free Preakness guide, which you'll need more than ever, to wager on the races when you can't get to the track. You'll need that guide more than ever, Dick. <laughs> no question, Steve. Uh, you must have it. And uh, remember the, all those horses we talked about Derby Week? Well, there's only four of them running in this race. There's nine new horses. You definitely need the guy to find out what's happening. Well, I want to start with this horse, Always Mining. Um, I believe, you can correct me on this, I believe he's a horse that's been running at Laurel. Uh, that is correct. Uh, yeah, and exactly has put right. together a good record at Laurel. What do you know about him? All right, I've actually saw him uh, run. Uh, I was at Laurel uh, in mid-March, right after the, the Big Ten Championship. Uh, where we were at in Chicago for the Minnesota game. I was there two days later, and I saw him run in the race prior to his last one. And he's on a six-race winning streak. Is won by a combined 36 lengths. Uh, won the Tessio Stakes at Laurel, which is a, a win and you're in. You win it, you get an automatic berth at the Preakness. Um, so he's probably the best Maryland-based horse at the Preakness in quite a while. And he's fast. The issue I would have with him, he is uh, the caliber of horse he's been running against versus what he'll face Saturday, completely different, much better group uh, in the Freakness, including a couple horses that came out of the Derby and ran well. Um, and he also has a style. He's fast. He proved in his last start he doesn't need the lead to win, uh, but the horses he's been against, are there's three or four of them are about as fast as he is, and I think that move he's been making where he's blowing the field away at Laurel I don't think that move's going to work Saturday at Pimlico. So it's just a question, is he good enough to deal with this kind of competition? Uh, the four horses coming back, I believe, are Improbable, War of Will, Bodie Express, and Win, Win, Win. 
of those four, which do you think has the best shot in this field? Yeah, I'm actually picking War of Will, and I'm probably going to get all the worst of it here, Steve, because there are a number of people are going to pick War of Will because of uh, what was termed the interference on the far turn, and certainly there was what you would define as a foul uh, from maximum security made uh, War of Will steady on the far turn. That's certainly true. I think he recovered really fast, however, and was able to get right back into the race. I don't think it impacted where he was going to finish. What I do think impacted where he was going to finish was what happened to Wormwell earlier in the race. The entire run down the backstretch, he was kind of locked in behind back security, no fouls going on, just in a bad spot with horses to his outside. He's been, he, he, and his mouth was wide open. He's using up all his energy, just trying to run, but there was nowhere to go. Uh, yet he still came with what I thought was a really strong run to the last 100 yards when he got tired chasing back the security finish eight. So I do I do think Warren Will's going to run really well, but, I'm, again, I'm getting the worst probably of the price because people are going to be betting him for the perceived trouble, which I didn't think was any big deal in the far turn. I thought his issues were earlier in the race. Improbable at the moment would be the uh, favorite, the Baffert horse. Uh, yet he doesn't seem to inspire a lot of confidence. Why? Hasn't won this year. Um, and unlike a lot of Baffert horses that have come to the Freakness and won, and there's been seven of them, he's gone for a record eight Freakness win on Saturday. Improbable is not a Derby winner, which five of them were. He's not a, a Derby favorite with the kind of uh, – past performances that Point Given had or looking at Lucky had when they were beaten in the Derby came back to win the Preakness. But he does have Baffert. He does have Mike Smith for the first time. It's the best combination in the sport. Again, I think because of that, you're going to take the worst of it in the price. I'll be shocked if he's not the post-time favorite as he was in Kentucky. And, he, and he's a good horse. I mean, nothing, he always runs. He fires, but... Again, he's 0 for 3 in 2019, and that does not inspire a lot of cups. Where does the speed come from in this race? Because I know you you like, uh, for example, in Maximum Security, one of the reasons you picked that horse to win is that you felt that horse would be at or just off the lead most of the race, and you like that. Who falls into that category here? It's interesting. I really thought there was only one live speed horse in the Derby, and that was the horse that finished first, maximum security. He had to go a little faster than I thought early to make the lead, but then he was able to really slow the race down because there just weren't a lot of quality speed horses. In this race, I think you can make the case for almost half the 13-horse field potentially showing speed. If there's a chance War of Will could show speed from the rail, I don't think he's going to be quite fast enough to get there. I know the owner of Warriors Charge pretty well. He's a, actually, you'll love this story. He's a, he's a professor of economics at Rhodes College in Memphis. Also, one of the courses he teaches every other spring semester is the economics of horse race, horse track wagering. Uh, Marshall Graham is his name, and he owns Warriors Charge along with a bunch of his partners. He's a very smart guy. I think they're going to send him right to the front or try to get there. But we mentioned always mining, Bodie Express. There's several horses in this race that could show speed. So this is a lot more difficult race to get a sense of who's going to be where early in the race. But that's always the key to me to any kind of a successful bet, being able to 
see the race before it happens. And that's what I was able to do in Kentucky. At a successful pick, not a successful bet, not because of the DQ. I, I didn't have the exact anyway. Uh, but I did understand how the race would be run. What about a horse that's 12 to 1, Bourbon War? He is very interesting, Steve. If, if this race goes like, let's say they have five uh, horses battling for the lead, or three horses even, and they're going pretty fast, Bourbon War had a similar circumstance in the uh, in the Fountain of Youth Stakes at Gulfstream Park, and he finished a really good second, a code of honor, of course, finished third and then moved up to second in the Kentucky Derby. So if he gets that kind of setup, I think he'd be okay. Uh, he ran in the Florida Derby against back security, but that was a differently run race. The pace was slow. It wasn't contested. Nothing was closing. So, yeah, I, I think Bourbon War is okay. And the South Florida form where he was running, that really held up well in Kentucky. The horses that were running there ran really well in the Derby. We've already talked about what happened with maximum security uh, and and how it happened, but the offshoot of that is Saez was uh, suspended for 15 days. What did you think of the length of the suspension? Absurd. Uh, I think what happened was look. We, I've, I'm already on the record thinking I think they made the wrong decision. We can agree or disagree on that, but everybody's got a, an opinion. I respect them all. It's fine, but I, I think they just made the wrong call. But having said that, once the call is made, then you have to say, all right, well, how much was he at fault? Or did the horse, the thousand-pound animal, just see the lights? Or did he uh, hear the crowd and just freak out for a second and kind of hold down to the right? I think that's what happened. I, to me, the jockey was not at fault. I thought he'd try to get the horse right back where he belonged as quick as he could. I think, Steve, it was a justification for what they did. Uh, in a typical situation like this, the jockey would be suspended three days, maybe five days, seven at the most, but never 15. But I, I think also the fact that the owners appealed, the owners showed up with a video, uh, a lawyer showed up on behalf of the jockey with a video that they showed that maximum security was the horse that got fouled. Stewards in general around the country do not like to be, quote, shown up like referees don't. And I think that's kind of how they react. And I think that was a very bad way to react because you're basically giving a penalty to a person who didn't deserve it. See, I've watched it five or six times, and my opinion of it is different than theirs. It's the same as yours, by the way. I felt that he saved it. Actually, I thought it was the other way around, that he, if he was not as skilled a jockey as he happens to be, and he's the top winner this year, I thought as soon as like that horse drifted, he worked his, his, very hard to get the horse back on track. I, I looked at it as the opposite. Yeah, I, I kind of did, too. Look, he came out in front of the other horses. There any question that no question. Uh, War of Will was impacted, I, I think, very briefly, and I think he had a, enough chance to recover to get back if he was good enough to win. He would have. Um, and, and the other two horses, uh, uh, was it Long Range Toddy and Bodie Express? I do think they were impacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Their momentum was stopped. But again, the question that stewards can ask, even if they judge, even if you agree, and I don't, even if you agree there was some interference there, they can still say to themselves, well, did it cost any of the horses who were interfered with a chance to finish in the money? And I think if you keep viewing the race, the answer is no. no. Uh, I just don't think they. I don't think they kept looking, and I don't think they asked themselves that question. I've talked to some friends in California. 
They said if the same exact same circumstance came up there, there's no chance the horse would have been disqualified because the way they look at the rules differently than they look at them in Kentucky. And it's one of the many problems with the sport. There's no there's no Roger Goodell, there's no Adam Silver, there's no national body. It's all done state to state, like boxing. Uh, and it, nobody really knows what the rules are. Uh, bottom line for me is, if you're not sure, don't do it. That's all. Just let it stand. Right. And people would have been angry uh, for, I would say, an hour maybe. We wouldn't still be talking about right. it a week later, I don't think. Well, you always uh, talk about how you like to, you know, to see the race before it happens. Yep. All right. Yep. So there's, I've got 13 horses here. So take me through a mile and three sixteenths. How do you see the race? Yeah. What I'm hoping happens again, because I'm probably going to play Warwick. Well, I did not like the fact that he got the one hole. Um, it's not like the the death trap it is in Kentucky, where you actually have to take a right turn to get on the course. You're already on the course at a right. mile three sixteenths at Pimlico. So it's not, that's not a problem. And normally the one hole is fine. I just think for this particular horse, they probably would have rather have him be outside just because the last thing they wanted to see him trapped on the rail again. So I think Tyler Gaffleone is the jockey at Warwick Well, He's going to have to make a, a decision pretty early. Uh, I think there's three or four horses that are faster than his horse. So if I'm, if I'm him, what the play is, let those horses I talked about a second ago that are going to show speed, let them go. In fact, the faster they go, the better. Then there's the potential to spread the field out, which did not happen in Kentucky because they slowed, the pace got slowed down dramatically. That's why there was so much traffic around the turn at the top of the stretch. You spread the field out, then Gaffleon's going to be able to find a spot outside on the back stretch where he's going to be able to get this horse in the clear. Obviously, it's much easier and more comfortable for horses if they see sky in front of them rather than other horses. Right. And, and that's what I'm hoping, that he can get this horse. If it's not, it might not be through the through the stretch the first time, but maybe as the field sorts itself out on the back stretch, uh, then Gaffleon can get the source off of the rail, get him into a comfortable spot, get him in a good stride, and almost every horse runs better outside than inside. So then, of course, you'll play the box. So who who joins War Will in the box? Yeah, I, look, I, I think Improbable is going to be there. I hate to give out the two favorites, but I think they're the most logical one-two finishers in the race. And after that, I like Owendale, who won the Lexington. If yeah. the, again, if the race is going to be run like I think, if there's going to be a contested pace, they're going to go fast, then I, I think Owendale has helped because he's a, he's a late runner. And, and if the only horse I could see out of the whole group potentially taking the lead by himself, if everything works out, is Warriors Charge. Because I think that they're going to be intent on trying to make the lead. They are closest to the rail of all the speed horses. So the strategy always in that circumstance is just send your horse out of there and hope the rest of them don't want to go with you. And you come out of the first turn loose in the lead because any horse clear is always dangerous. And Warriors trucks got good in Arkansas when they changed the style of running and put him on the lead twice and, and he crushed two fields down there. Is there any jockey that's a difference maker? You've mentioned Mike Smith. Is there any jockey that's another difference maker that could actually make the horse a little bit better in this race? You know, it could be Javier Castellano is riding Warriors Charge. He's yeah. certainly one of the best. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's a half a dozen. Johnny V's in here on Bodie Express. I, yeah. I love Johnny, but I, yeah. Bodie Express doesn't want to race yet. It's a tough spot to win your first race. Um, so, yeah, maybe Smith and Castellano maybe. And it's amazing. Smith-Baffert combo is incredible. And it's the first time uh, Mike will have ridden improbable. And I, 
I can't really explain why, but it seems like the first time he gets on horses, they often run better than they ever have. Finally, uh, it, it's at Pimlico. We've talked about this before. Uh, it's not obviously the greatest facility in America, but what is the charm to you of Pimlico? It's home uh, for me. I mean, it's the yeah. first race track I ever went, uh, and I spent, boy, in the 70s and into the mid-80s, and they ran a long meet back then. They used to run from, like, around St. Patrick's Day, right through, almost right into the, well into the summer. Uh, I was there. I mean, I, I, I didn't miss a day. And I saw my first Preakness there, believe it or not, from the infield. <laughs> <laughs> in 1973, and I picked a good year to go. Yeah. That was the year Secretariat of the Freakness yeah. on his way to the, the greatest triple crown of all. Um, and and I've seen everyone since 1978. Wow. And it, so, yeah, I mean, it just it, it means something to all of us who grew up in, in the area, and I, and I did. I grew up about 15 minutes from the track. Um, but yeah, the facility is, look, it's, it's on his lap leg. Uh, I think we all understand that. It's just the, the, the owners would like to move the race, uh, about 30 miles down the road to Laurel Park, which right. is a little closer to Washington, D.C. Um, in a perfect world, I would love to see them move it to Laurel Park for a couple of years and rebuild Pimlico as a super track, right. but it's a lot of money and I, I, it's easier for me to spend somebody's money. <laughs> I, 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 you know, that's what I would like to see happen because to me, the the Preakness belongs at Pimlico. But yeah. look, stuff changes. I, I hope it doesn't change, but decisions going to have to be made here probably in the next couple of years. So you saw affirmed Aladar too? Hmm. I did. Wow. Yeah, that was actually one of my legendary moments in horse racing. The first Derby I ever went to was. Affirmed Alidar. I was a huge Affirmed fan, and that was before simulcasting it, and ExpressBet.com where you could just sit at home and bet online. You had to actually be there at the track or bet with a bookmaker. Well, I didn't have a bookmaker, so I got. On, I was at Pimlico on a Friday afternoon. I said, I'm going to Kentucky. I got on a plane. Have I ever told you this story? No. I got on a plane on Friday night, got to the Louisville airport at no hotel. <laughs> Left in the Louisville airport, walked, eat corn dogs all morning, bet all of my money on a firm who was not the favorite. He signed a five. Right. Aldor is a favorite. He was. Uh, Step in front of some drunk guy so I can see the race because I don't, I, I have to see, uh, take his mint julep, take one sip and toss it because it was so bad. <laughs> I, I went all the money on a firm. I go downtown that night, and I, I eat what I think is a revolving restaurant, but I still don't know exactly. I still haven't figured out which one it was, which I've been to Louisville a million times since then. Um, go back to the airport, because even though I have all the money, I still can't get a hotel. <laughs> Take a taxi back to the airport and fly home on Sunday to get there just in time for my softball game. And then I go to the Preakness, and I go, you know what? Triple crowns happen all the time. They'd happen in 
I think it was the 10th or 11th time with the jar with American Pharaoh. So, yeah, not one of my great decisions. I don't need to see that. It happens all the time. It was like right. the 40s. Yeah. In the yeah, yeah. 40s, it happened all right. the time. Then yeah, it happened right. for 25 years. 37 years, yeah. 37 years later, yeah. uh, oh, nice call. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but I did bet on a firm in a derby. He was my horse. Stevie Cawthon aboard. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite horses. Dick, as always, thanks. Yes, sir. On my way to Old Hilltop, there will be crab cakes and crabs in my future. Perfect. Award-winning writer Dick Girardi, who enjoys crab cakes and crabs, is with us courtesy of ExpressBet.com. Visit ExpressBet.com for a free practice guide, which you'll need more than ever based on the field, and to wager on the races when you can't get to the track. As always, sir, we appreciate it. You got it, my friend. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years.